I had to make a phone call. It was a scary one. It caused a lot of dread. I was terrified. I had to call my dad. To call my dad. So I'd take my phone out, go to dial. I'm sweating bullets. I didn't know how I was going to explain what had just happened. I was nervous. I had just gotten in a car accident with his car. That's not it. That's from Google. You guys know what Google is? So I'm in this spot. I go to pull out, and as I'm backing the car out, this other car backs right into the back bumper. Boom. Okay, so the situation unfolds. We're talking. I'm talking with the other person. We're seeing if we're okay. I I mean, I think you guys already know where I'm going with this. I thought I was going to get it. I thought I was going to get it. I, that's, this is it. I'm done. I was 19 years old. 19. I, it was a good, good 19 years of living. Rip. But what I, was, what I received when, when my dad answered that phone call was unexpected. Unexpected. It was a calm voice. He let me say what I needed to say, explain what I needed to explain, tell him what had just happened, and he answered with the most calm voice any dad could in that moment. Now, I wasn't being purposefully reckless or careless. I wasn't saying, I'm going to just peel out of this, this spot and back into somebody without, it, with, with, with no regard of my, for my life or the other person's life. I wasn't doing that. But see, my dad was still gracious and merciful. And even though I had just banged up his car, it didn't mean that he didn't love me. Obviously, there were still going to be consequences for what I had done. I either I had to pay him back, whatever it was, whatever he'd listed, I don't remember now, and he still forgave me. There's still consequences, but he still loved me, and he still forgave me for what had happened. And this wasn't going to cause his love or his forgiveness or his grace to, to run out on me in that exact moment. See, while our parents do love us and care about us, and are capable of forgiving us, God's mercy, his love, his grace, his forgiveness is more, is even more. And just like my dad wasn't going to disown me for getting into this accident, you can't do something so big and so grievous against God that makes God, God's forgiveness run out. Or that makes his forgiveness ineffective to us. I think if we're going to think about this in terms of a big idea, a central idea, a main idea, we'd have to think about it this way. I'd, I would say it this way. You can never out God's forgiveness. You can't. Sometimes we think we can by the mess we've created for ourselves or the mess we've seen our siblings create or something we've seen someone do. It's like, man, that's so bad. There's no way. There's no way that guy can be a Christian or that girl could be a Christian. There's just no way, but we have to forget that even when we're at our most uh, greedy, selfish, unsympathetic, unsympathetic, and harsh, the harshest with our words, that God still is so much bigger in his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. 
And in fact, you, I mean, you might even, maybe this is you now, maybe you see, you've seen someone go through, through this, feeling like a, just like a lost cause. There's nothing worth saving that person. Maybe they're thinking, I, there's nothing worth saving me, or there's no way that anybody could forgive me for the person that I am. But it's quite the opposite. Now, you guys have been going through this, this uh, series on the parables, right? Not if you, you agree with, yes, no? Some of you are here. Maybe some of you weren't here. Um, You've been going through a series on parables. Now, the parables, what those are teaching are the, the joy, the parables on the joy of finding lost things. And this morning, we're going to be in the prodigal, of, uh, the prodigal son. So we're going to be reading Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. If you have your Bibles, devices, if you have those physical Bibles, take them out. If you brought them to church with you, take them out. Open up to Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. If you're using a Bible to... Put your sheet on it, put the sheet away for a second, and open up the physical Bible and follow along with me as I read that. But as you guys are getting, turning to that in your Bibles, the theme so far in these parables has been God's great love and the rejoicing he has over bringing the lost to himself. And the things that have been depicted thus far, so far, have been this. His wondrous mercy, his compassion, and love for the lost. That's what we've seen in these parables so far. And here in Luke 15 specifically, uh, verses 11 through 32, Jesus invites, he's inviting the Pharisees, the scribes, and sinners to respond to the love of God in Christ. So that's what we find here in Luke 15. Now I'm going to go ahead and read that. Luke 15, verses, uh, starting verse 11. Hopefully you're there already. Verse 11. And it says this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive me, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. I can, I'm going to just stop right there. For verses 11 through 13 is already, is already telling us... Uh, the, the, the main point of this story here, well, not one, one of the main points. It gives us two of the main characters there, the father and the son, his younger one at that. Coming and says, hey, Dad, give me, give, me, give me what belongs to me. Give me my inheritance. And I'm going to peace out and go far away, and I'm just going to spend it on whatever I want to spend it on. Okay, it, it's, it's contextually... If we're reading into it, what did, why was Christ telling this story? Well, there's, there's reason behind him saying, this is what the son did. And we're going to get into that. But what the son is doing here, culturally, was shameful, disgraceful, in asking his, his share of the inheritance at this given time. But let's keep reading. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Have you guys ever been so hungry that you're like, I'm going to eat what we're feeding these animals here. I'm, gonna, I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat this cat kibble. I'm going to crack open this can of dog food, and just I'm so hungry, just take a spoon and just start going to town. No, none of you? Okay. That's what's exactly that's what's happening here. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the, the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him a, a, anything. Verse 17. 
But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He's like, man, my parents, the, 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 the people who work for my father are eating much better than I am. I'm not, I'm not eating anything. The pig farmer won't even let me eat from the, the pig feed. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And this is the turning point for him. Understanding I've really messed up. Everything I've done so far has been messy, complicated, disorganized. I've, I've essentially insult, I've insult, more than insulted my, my dad in doing this. Now I have nothing to show, to show for it. None, everyone, you could even imagine like everybody he went, he may have gone to this far off country to, everyone abandoned him. Nobody, nobody was there for him. So he's like, okay, I'm going to ask my father's forgiveness. I'm going to at least go and, and work for him because even then I'll be treated better. He says, I am no longer, verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he's like, this is what I'm going to say to him. He's got, he, I know him to be a gracious father, a, a forgiving father. He's, he's going to say yes. He's going to say yes. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Well, okay, that's a, that's a different reaction. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Whoa, wait a second. This guy just shamed his family, disgraced his family. And this is the way his father's bringing him back in. He's giving him the best of the things that he has. And it's not, it doesn't stop there. He says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead, right? This is the thrust. This is the main point. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This was a joyous occasion. It didn't matter what his son had done. He was back. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Enters, enters the older brother. And he called one of the servants. He called one of the servants. Uh, and asked what these things meant and said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But listen, look at this reaction here. Look at this reaction. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He repeats the same statement again. See, Jesus, Jesus wanted people to know that there's a, the, the contrast between a boundless, a limitless mercy of God and the refusal of the Pharisees, contextually, as we're reading, who is he, who is he speaking to? Why is he sharing this, this parable with people? So the Pharisees understood that they weren't accepting of other people. They weren't accepting of other sinners. And we have to see here that the father's, the, the father, the father's waiting and willingness to forgive the son and reconcile with his son. Jesus wanted people to see that God deeply cared for them. And not just those around you in here now, or your Christian parents, or other Christians here at this church, but everybody, non-Christians included. He wants us to know that we can run to him, and that he pursues us. 
And he does this even in our restlessness. I don't mean, I, I do mean in your boredom, when you get fed up, when you're tired of the strict rules, when you, you're done with family obligations, when you're like, okay, I just, I don't want to do this. I'm fed up. I'm, I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. You're looking for an opportunity to just, to just duck out. Living free, following your path, your desires, and trusting yourselves goes against that love that God freely gives to you. And that leads me to my first point this morning. It's this. Know that restlessness is rebellion against love. Know that restlessness is rebellion against love. And I rebelled hard, guys. Growing up, I had, I had a curfew. I had a curfew. How many of you have curfews? None of you? None of you? Two people have curfews? Three, four, maybe? Man, you guys are lucky. No curfews. Well, when I was about your age, I had a curfew imposed. And it didn't matter what I was doing, where I was, I had to stop at a certain hour during the evening, during the day, and call my mom. How many of you guys have to do that? None of you have to do that. Okay, two of you. Cool. And so I had to call. I had to call. It didn't matter what I was doing. If we were watching a movie, if we were in a movie theater, I had to step out, call my mom. This is what we're still doing. I don't know why. She just always wanted to know where I was. So I did it, right? And there were times where I just got tired of that. I was fed up. Because we'd be hanging out, I'd be hanging out with my friends, and I'd look around, none of them, never, ever, like you guys, with the exception of the three people that raised their hand, didn't after ever have to call their parents and say, hey, we're here, this is where I'm at, oh, we're not here anymore, we're moving over here, right? There was no, I always had to update it, and it, I got tired of it. I got tired of it. And there's so many times where I just, I was like, I wish I was older, just so I didn't have to, I didn't have to answer to this. I didn't have to do this. I didn't want to answer to no one. But that wasn't the case, right? And you guys obviously understand that. You're, you're smart, you're intelligent. It wasn't the case. I, was, I, had, to, I had to answer to my parents. There, I couldn't be in opposition of who they were and the, the, the rules, the ground rules that they had for me while I was living under their household. But there were so many times when we feel this way. We feel restless. We feel fed up. We feel bored. We're done with the predictability of life. It's the, the, the routine. And this is what's happening here. And for whatever reason, the son's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And so what he asks is a big ask. It's, it's a pretty big deal what he's asking. It'd be like you guys going to your parents and saying, hey, mom, dad, listen, I'm thinking I'm done here. I don't, I'm, I'm done with this stuff. Will you give me just a portion of your retirement plan right now? Everything you're saving up to retire with, give me, just give me a bit of that and I'll just, I'll peace out. I'll leave house and you don't have to worry about me. I don't have to call you uh, or not call you. I don't have to answer to these rules. Or, it, that's what that's like. That's what he's doing here. It's costly. It's a costly thing he's asking of the father. And the father could have responded like any father would now. Your dad would be like, have you lost your mind? Or <laughs> no. Uh, or try again, or any of those things. Or he could have even been like, if he was going to continue being gracious, he could have been. He could have said, um, "Well, let's talk about this. I'll I'll raise your allowance, right? I'll, you can still live here, not doing. Well, let's talk about the chores you got, right? I don't need you. To leave. You don't need to leave. It's good here. I got things for you. Let's raise your allowance." But he didn't. What did he do? 
right there, divided his, inherit- his, his assets, everything he had, and gave it to his son. Here you go. He responds, he responds by dividing with what he owned and gives it. But this, what I want us to understand is that this was more than just simply dividing what he had. This was taking what he was still living on and giving it to a son, giving a portion of what he was still living on and giving it. Just to explain so that we get the perspective in our mind that, that was, this was a big ask, a big deal for the son to be asking. Sometimes this kind of mindset leads us in the wrong direction. All right, it doesn't matter how much it's going to cost, we want it. It's our, it's our desire to have this thing. We feel like the rules that we have to abide by are, are, are suffocating. They're, they're, it's too much. That we, we know that I could do this on my own. It doesn't matter. We, we've got to get out of here and, and so on, right? Whatever it is that we might say. But it's quite the opposite. See, your restlessness, that was me, your restlessness, like in this picture here, Right, your restlessness or the, the feel of, of, I can't do this anymore. What is, what is happening here? What's all these rules? Why do we do this? Right, this restlessness will lead us to this kind of thinking. Right? The first thing that you can write down, I don't have these on the slide, because they're more of thoughts. More thoughts of what things we, how we might be thinking, more so than sub-points. But something that we might, might cross our minds or might, we might be tempted to think is, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. And that's what we see here in verses 11 through 12. We see this eager son to give me the piece of, piece of my inheritance. I'm out of here. Verse 12 says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13 says, not many days later, not many days later, he was out. He was gone. But I kind of, I had this, um, I had this interesting way of, for us to kind of think through this, right? I want to play out the way that the son, the, this younger son, would have, his thought process. Now, Christ, the more important part for Christ here is to give this, this the theme for this parable and this thrust. But I want to, because we're not given thoughts of how the, the, the son is thinking, but I want to kind of play that out. He could he'd say something like this, right? The old man, he's, he's a good guy. He's gracious. He's forgiving. He's going to let me have this. I'm going to ask this of him. And he's going to say, there's no way he says yes. I mean, there's no way he says no. Because if he says no, then that goes against his, the very character and nature of who he is. He's going to say yes. Plus, all my friends, they're, they're, they're out there already. I'm going to have people. Life's born here. It's predictable. And all these friends keep writing me back saying, hey, we've got amazing job opportunities, exciting stories. They're having a great time. I, I'm going I'm to ask them. And this is, gonna, this, this is all going to change. It's going to change today. And today is my chance to ask this. Right? Now, while we could consider, sit there and consider the, what he was thinking, he, he, we could very clearly tell in verses 11 through 13 that he was, he was ready to get out. He was ready to get out of there. Maybe he was fed up, tired of strict rules, uh, family obligations. And it, again, we don't get his thoughts exactly as to why he's asking this of his father. But see, the son was asking something, something of, this, of this father that only happens upon a father's death. That's the costly part. And he was essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, is what he was saying publicly by asking for this, this portion of his inheritance. So he's bringing that shame upon his family. So you, I want you guys to just hear that. He, he, this wasn't just an easy ask. He was asking something that was huge. This was big. It was costly. But in his restlessness, he took advantage of his dad's love. He went against his dad's love. And everything that he knew was good where he was living, in his community, with his family, in his house, even if it meant strict rules, 
chores, obligations. He was good. He was living a good life. But he decided, I want to I I take this on my own. I can do this on my own. And when we have this mentality, what, what happens in that mentality is this. is we become disrespectful, we become harsh, we become uncaring, and we're going against the love people have for us. So restlessness leads us to that kind of mentality. I can't wait to get, out, to get out of here. The second thing is this. I can do it all on my own. I can do it all on my own. Now I want to play that out again, right? His thought process. He's saying, I can't believe, right? He just, he just asked his, his dad, give me, a, give, me, give me what's mine. I can't believe this work, maybe is how he would, he would be thinking. I can't believe this work. I'm free at last. No more obligations, no more family stuff, no more dad watching over my shoulder. I'm, I'm out of here. No more boredom. I'm free to choose, I'm free to choose whatever it is that I want to do, uh, who I want to see, who I want to be with. Uh, whenever I want to go home, it doesn't matter. I don't have to call anybody. But in verse 13, not many days later, right? He was ready. He, he thought, I can do this on my own. But not many days later, it's this immediate, I'm done. I'm out of here. I've got what I need. I'm by everyone. He could now go on and do everything on his own. Now, when we have that mentality, we don't want to listen to anyone. We're set in our ways and we think we know everything. And we think we know better. But that's not the case. And we're about to find out here with the younger son how that turns out for him. Because what we end up doing with that mentality is we end up squandering, we end up just wasting what we have on reckless living, wanting to do and live the way we want to live. The third thing is this. I was sure I could do it. I was sure I could do it on my own. I was positive. You start reading, we, start, we continue reading verse 14, 15, 16, and we see there, that perhaps he's thinking, you know, yeah, it was, hard to, it was hard to see the look on my parents' faces and listen to them discuss it, but I'm on my own, right? And you see, immediately, verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Right? Just that thought process for him then saying, I, I swear I had money. You can imagine him looking through whatever bags he was carrying in every corner of where he's living, looking for something, looking for some coins. I don't know if you've ever looked through your couches, you're pulling up couch cushions and pulling out like pennies. You're like, I found something, I have enough for nothing. But, you know, I have like 10 cents now. All right, maybe that's what he was doing. Even, even, like, even thinking, causing him to this severe famine, running out of money, thinking about his friends. How come my friends haven't reached out to me and invited me to things yet? They still have money. I, I maybe, maybe he lent out money and was trying to be generous with what he had, but now his friends weren't reciprocating, reciprocating that. They weren't, they weren't doing the same thing in return to him. And it was verse, verses 15 and 16. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. I just, again, that thought process. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. From beautiful people to pigs... From fun times to pigsty, I can't, like, I'm, I'm not winning anymore. Where'd all my friends go? They're not inviting me to things anymore. Or even down to verse 16 where he says, and he was longing to be fed with the, the pods that, that, pig, that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. And he starts coming to this realization, I, I made a, a grave mistake. This is, this is, I shouldn't have done this. 
Down to the very, maybe the thought process or the thought that crosses mind was like, man, this is, this, these guys, like, I don't like this. They, they, they disgust me. I, I can't believe I did this to myself. My friends, they're not my friends. They don't care about me. This, this, job, this job I have now makes me sick. What, can, what do I do? What am I to do? He's realizing here the truth of his circumstances. Where he, where he may have thought that his, his reliance and his trust was in his friends in this far-off country, it, it wasn't the case anymore. These guys weren't friends. They left them hanging. Whoever he was going to meet, if, even if he just went by himself, there's nobody there in this far country that was going to be there for him. So he ends up working for a pig farmer. And culturally, that, again, that's a, a red flag. Nope, nope, because he was going to go work for a Gentile who was a pig farmer. So you see, shame, disgrace, only to lead himself to more of that. And he's hitting rock bottom. He's like, I, have, I literally have nowhere else to turn. This pig farmer doesn't even want, he's not going to let me eat the slop here that we're giving the pigs. I, I, need to go, I, I need to go ask for forgiveness. I need to ask for forgiveness. And see, when we place our trust in ourselves, in our paths, in our desires, our so-called friends, life seems so good. It's like, oh yeah, my friends, they provide all of this. Oh, this provides all of this for me. But see, when, the, when things get tough, all our certainty that's based on those things crumbles. When we choose to think this way and act on it, we're choosing to rebel against love, the love that God provides for us. Now, this is more, I want you guys to understand, this is more than just, hey, listen to your parents kind of message. Because this parable is just as effective or should be just as effective for adults as well. All right, but see, the, the, the message to this here is God's forgiveness never runs dry. And we can't out-sin his forgiveness. We can't pile on so much, right? You can even see it here. Listen to what the, the, younger, the younger son did in verses 11 through 13. Everything he's going through now, a severe famine, not, not having anything to eat, nothing to pay, nothing to ha- he didn't have any money. So he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. I got to ask for forgiveness. Right? We can't pile on so much sin in our lives that God, that God says, oh, no, it's too much. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. And that goes for the, both the believers and the unbelievers. Now, let's look back at the, the parable here. Because the son is now realizing this grave mistake he's made. So much that he's willing to go back to his father and ask for a job as one of his servants. He's like, verse 19, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You can just imagine him thinking like maybe tears in his eyes. He's sweating. He's dirty from having to work. And he goes, no, I, this is what I'm doing. I need to ask for forgiveness. I, I can't do this. I, I've wronged him. I've wronged everyone that I know and everyone that's loved me. And now I have to go back, even if it doesn't mean I get to be back in the family. He's ready to do that because he's... he's, he's He's at his wit's end. He, he doesn't know what to do next. You remember the love and grace that his dad showered on their servants and realized, I'm better off as a servant. When he didn't, what he didn't know, and what we're going to uh, uh, refresh our minds with here in Luke 15, is that forgiveness was waiting for him. And that's point number two. Know that forgiveness awaits. Know that forgiveness awaits. So after I'd called my dad, right, this is a long-awaited long call that caused dread. I was nervous. My stomach was churning. Uh, I knew that this would be my demise. This is it. I'm done. But w- what awaited for me when my dad answered was 
grace. And culturally, the son would have been here in the parable, the son would have been beyond forgiveness. Beyond forgiveness. We can list again everything that he did to his family, just beyond forgiveness. It's not, it's not worth it. You can go and go, you've squandered everything I've given you. No, I don't, I don't want you back. You're not my son. I don't even want you as a servant. Right? But no, that's not the case. Right? The, he, in verses 17 through 18, he, he, when he came to himself is what it says. But when he came to himself, which means to be brought back, he came to his senses. What I've done was, is, is wrong. He had realized he had messed up and he couldn't take it anymore. Couldn't take it anymore. His next, his next risk was to go back home and seek forgiveness, to show his face to the family he had shamed, he brought shame to, and who he had disgraced. He, he was finished with this life, the life that he had set off to start, and he was, he was done. I can't, do, I can't do this anymore. Look at uh, uh, verse 18. This is the, the picture of a repentant heart. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And that's the message, right? That verse right there is, is the, the pinnacle point at what Christ is trying to get at. That's the central point of the parable. A repentant heart. A genuine change. He's hit rock bottom so hard that he wants to tell his, his, his dad, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to be in your family anymore. I can't do this. I can't do this. There are times when we think we've done something so wrong, there's just no forgiveness for us. We've rebelled so hard. Uh, maybe that's you now. Maybe, maybe you think you've wronged someone, a family or a friend, or you're seeing this play out with a sibling or, or with a, a close friend of yours. Christ says that we, can, we can't ever out-sin God's forgiveness, but we have to approach him. Right? This is the first step. We have to approach him with a repentant heart. And this is as much for the Christian as it is for the non-Christian. In verses 20 through 24 of Luke 15, we reach the main thrust of the parable. Like the, the, main th- right? the father's waiting and willingness to forgive, uh, uh, to reconcile with his lost son. And this is what God wants us to know, that he is waiting and willing to forgive us as long as we come to him with a repentant heart. We need to remember that he lovingly calls back to us. And that's what you should be remembering about God. Whenever you show up and you're reading that, yeah, God, yeah, that's right, Elvis, God, God does call us to return to him. He calls Israel to return to him all the time. You should remember that God, and here's the first subpoint: calls us to return to him. Calls us to return to him. You guys can go ahead and jot this one down, but it's Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. This is a, a, great, a great, beautiful description of, call, of, of the Lord calling back to Israel. Joel 2, 12 through 13. And it says this, Yet even now declares the Lord, and listen to what he says, Return to me. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And rend your hearts and not your garments. He says, change your hearts. Don't change your clothing. He's saying, adjust your inward, right? The, your inner thoughts, your heart, not what's on the external, what's on the outside, and return to me. Why? Because he's gracious. 
He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in in a, a very firm love. And he relents over disaster. How many of you guys are slow to anger? Same. How many of you guys are always gracious and merciful? Yeah, this is what he's telling us to do. He, he's calling us to return to him. Acts, 13, uh, Acts 3 verse 19 says something quite similar. And this is Peter preaching a sermon at, at, at Pentecost. I'm sorry, at uh, Solomon's portico. Acts 3 verse 19 says this, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Right, who's the only person who's capable of doing that? That's, you know, God through Jesus Christ. But he's saying the same thing. He's return, return back to who loves you. The second thing is this. Responds lovingly. So you should remember that God calls us to return to him and that he responds lovingly. Um, this is a super rare verse that you guys probably don't know, but John 3.16 John 3.16 says this in case you don't remember uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life but there's a a, a, that whole verse is, is crucial but listen to what he says for God so loved the world he loved the world he responds lovingly through Jesus Christ obviously there's there's further consequences for our sin, but he loved the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross to be our substitute. That's his, his loving response to us. 1 John 1, nine. you can write that one down. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, that's a loving response from God the Father. We need to remember those things, right? And, and knowing that forgiveness awaits for us, we have to remember those, that, that he calls to return to, to him and that he responds lovingly so long as we're responding with a repentant heart. God's forgiveness awaits, and it doesn't mean that that. that it doesn't mean we're to take advantage of it. It doesn't mean that we should toy with it. And there, there are going to be consequences to face when we mess up. There just isn't enough. There isn't, there isn't so much of, bad, of the bad things that we do that can pile up that can't be forgiven. And maybe that's, that, that, that statement there is for us who go to church, attend church, go to church events, we watch our parents talk about the gospel to uh, non-Christian friends and family. We see our parents walking in the, their faith and reading their Bibles. We see that. We understand that, okay, I'm trying to, I want to mirror and reflect the faith of my mom or my dad or a small group leader here or a pastor here that you admire. What about the non-Christians? Because the non-Christians can't take advantage of this. At least they don't know they're, taking, they're, they're uh, not taking advantage of God's forgiveness and love. Right? And that's the, the, the crux of this parable is that God deeply cares for not just those who are very close to him, who read his word every day, who are at every church event, but for everybody. 
You walk out there, you go to the grocery store, you're going to come across people who do not know the gospel, who do not know God, who do not, have never experienced God's forgiveness and love and mercy and grace. Right, if we were to look back at Luke 15, verses 21 through 24, there's no justice waiting for the son. There's no justice. There are no consequences. Only what does the father put on, to, put on him? The best robe. Gives him his best robe. Ring. He gets a ring, and it's probably like not just like a, like a, little, a little dinky ring where, you know, you know at the grocery stores? I don't know if they still have them anymore. Probably not. But you'd ask your parents. Maybe you've asked your parents. Maybe you don't. I know I did. Put a quarter in. You do a little crank, and it brings out the little plastic bubble. Have you guys done that before? No? Yeah. Okay, yes, 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 yes. And you pull out like a little ring, ladies, like this little ring. You're like, look at this ring. The little heart ones, yeah. Or the ones that are like the prank, and you fill it with water, and you're like, look at my ring. And you get somebody in the, in the face. Right? It's not like this little dinky ring that his dad said, I've got 25 cents left. I'm going to go do a little crank thing and pull out this ring, this plastic ring. He goes, no, this, is, this, this would have been significant. This would have signified the sonship is returned to him. You are my son again. You did, yes, you did terrible things, but that doesn't matter anymore. I've forgiven you. You are my son. Here's this ring. Put this, 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 this great ring that, I, 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 that has been passed down the family sandals, right? He put sandals on his feet, shoes on his feet, a return for his former, to his former wealth. Yes, we have this much now, but I'm giving you these best, the best shoes we have. And then the fattened calf, right? That celebratory dinner was, was to signify this restitution. You're back, you're part of the family, you're part of our inner circle again. Let's not do this anymore. It's something that we should be begging for and certain we will receive. All right, let's look back at the last section here. Luke 15, verses 25 through 32. And for the sake of time, I won't read that whole section again. But here we have here, on the heels of the father's acceptance of a repentant son is an angry older brother. He's angry, displeased, and disgusted with his brother. He cannot believe what his father's doing right now in this very second. He lashes out and gives his dad a piece of his mind, but the tables have turned, right? At first, it was, it was this shameful, disgraceful younger son who says, give me my inheritance. It runs off, squanders it. Now he's repentant and he's back. He's back in the fold. And now we almost do this, other, this, this whole switch, this swap. Now it's the older brother who's distancing himself from the family, not understanding the dad's motives, as much as we're the younger brother, sometimes we sometimes are the older one too, because we can be self-centered, focus on ourselves, lacking forgiveness, love, mercy, and grace. And this can't be. We have to understand here that, that the focus isn't on us. And that's the third point. No, the focus isn't on you. All right, I want to tell you guys about this delicacy, okay, that is, in my opinion, well, no, not my opinion, it's just a fact, that this delicacy has is, is, is gone down in human history as just being a delicious treat, a delicious treat, okay, you can Google it, You're, I'm not wrong, it's a cinnamon pretzel from Costco, look at that, you've never had one? If you haven't had one, you have to have one. Hey, 
whoa, hey, hey. If you can trust me to stand up here and preach God's word to you, how are you going to negate the fact that I, I know about delicious treats? They don't anymore, so you're right. If they ever bring them back, listen, if we'll talk, I'll talk with Pastor Jacob. If the day they bring them back, we'll go, we'll go on a, a narrow field trip and go get some. You can, hold, you, can, you can hold me to that so that you guys could delicious, uh, try this delicious treat. Anyway, the point of this picture here is, is this, right? Knowing that the focus isn't on us, I had a, a, a complete focus on myself. I was selfish. And my parents, who went to Costco to buy some stuff, came back. I don't know where I was. I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't go with them. I came back, and I was like, where were you guys? And like, we went to Costco, and like, they got good stuff. I was like, oh, okay, cool, all right. On the corner of the table, I found the, that white crinkly paper with some cinnamon dust on it. And I instantly, as you can already imagine, started, just lost my mind. They, they, got, they got a cinnamon pretzel. They got a cinnamon pretzel. I go, what else did you guys get? And like, oh, we got the cinnamon pretzels, but uh, we didn't get enough for everybody. And I lost it. I was upset over this silly snack, guys. Can, can I, and can I be real with you guys? Can I be real with you guys? Yeah? I said some unnecessary things, right? Have you guys been there before? I said some unnecessary things. Here's what I said to them. Are you ready for this? And I never said it again. I never said it again. I said, you don't care about me. It's just a pretzel, but it's a good pretzel. <laughs> it's just a pretzel, but it's a, great, it's a great pretzel. Listen, I said some unnecessary things. It was uncalled for. I obviously apologized for it because at the end of the day, right, just like somebody said up here, it's just a pretzel. It's just a pretzel. But we all get like that. And this is what we're getting here in Luke, Luke 15, verses 25 to 32, where this older brother has forgotten himself. He's forgotten himself. And while most of us would be like, no, no, yes, he deserves these consequences. He doesn't, he doesn't belong in the family anymore. He wasn't seeing clearly. He wasn't thinking clearly. He wasn't seeing the very act of forgiveness and grace his father was showing the, older, the, the younger son. Self-centered, this self-centeredness that we, we often are, are capable of having, we say harsh words, we do what we want, we disregard any instruction, and we're just oblivious to situations and people. And here are some ways that we can think about it. Remembering that it isn't about us helps us readjust our attitude. It helps us readjust our attitude. How we think of other people Because see, in verses 25 to 32, the brother was only seeing how he had been wronged, acknowledging only what his brother had done and what, how his brother had wronged the family, which in most cases would be like, yeah, no, absolutely, he's got good reason, but he's, he's missing something. He's missing the point here. And I think some of us, most of us, maybe all of us, do the same thing. We're quick to judge 
And we say, things, we say mean things to those who have been uh, given the same grace and forgiveness that we have been given. I think so that we can think about it a little clear, uh, more clearly. Philippians, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, says this. It says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of what? The same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of what? One mind. How can we all be doing that if we're not showing forgiveness? If we're not being loving and caring and tenderhearted with one another? How can we be of one mind? How can we, be, have, how can we have the same love? How can we do that? We can't. We can't do that. See, so we readjust our attitude and that starts with being humble. And that's what the older brother should have done. He should have humbled himself. He should have humbled himself. Now, if we're readjusting our attitude, right, what that's going to help with is that's going to reassess our anger. With a readjustment to our attitude, we're going to reassess a lot of the ways that we feel emotions. And for those of you who were in edge and remember my series on emotions, we talked about anger. And I want to go to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, because that says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How many of you are quick to hear or slow to speak, slow to anger? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger, especially in things that aren't good to be angry about, it says here, James is saying, does not produce the righteousness of God, does not produce the good things that God wants of us. I've got a question for you. You don't just answer this in your heads or even write down the question, but it says, if it isn't about you, does it make you mad? If it isn't about you, if it's the, the focus is on you, are you bitter? Are you resentful? Because I think that's a good way to have introspection, to look within ourselves, to be like, what's making me angry? What's driving this anger? So we readjust our attitude, we reassess our anger in that or our emotions, and we refocus, right? It helps us refocus on what matters. Luke 15, verses 31 through 32, just the last verses there. It says this, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's the main point, right? The father's waiting and willingness to reconcile with the son and to remind his older, his older son, you, you have what, what he has. See, and this was, this was directly pointed to the Pharisees who, who instead of, um, of, instead of feeling angry, they needed to rejoice that sinners were being saved and coming to a profession of faith and being a part of God's house. In the same way, we need to treat each other this way. God wants all to be saved. So there's in, in this, the same grace and forgiveness that you experience, that you're experiencing now, that I'm experiencing, is, this, is the same forgiveness and love and grace and mercy that others can experience as well. I've got two minutes left. Can I, can I give you one more story here? Okay. Do you guys want to like a, a, a you want a glimpse at how how much of a nerd I used to be? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. In sixth grade, in sixth grade, there was this very exclusive club, and I knew the the person who was the, the head of this club. I was a, cl- a close friend, but for whatever reason, I, I try not to hold a grudge anymore. He didn't want me in, but that's okay. This exclusive club had just like it, it, he had cards printed out with your name on it and and stats i don't remember what the stats were about because this is like a fake club anyway the club this exclusive club are you ready here's the glimpse into how nerdy i was and i still am a little bit it was a legend of zelda club (laughs) so here's the thing here's the thing so when you got when you got accepted into this exclusive club they, you would take a trip to Home Depot with him and his dad, and you'd buy a wooden dowel, and you'd make an elemental sword. So, so, it was, so we had this wooden dowel, and we had this sword. Guys, it was, ni- it was 1998, okay? And so it was this wooden sword, right? And if I remember correctly, I think I, mine was the wind sword or something like that. The wind sword. Anyway, that's a glimpse into Elvis when he was a little kid. But this exclusive club, right? Sometimes we want to we want be a part of an inner circle. We want certain friends. We want to, we, I want to do that, but I have to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z to be into that. I, I can't, right? Sometimes circles of friends are, uh, uh, they're elitists. It's like, no, you have to do this. You have to be wearing this. You have to do, you have to say or speak like this in order to be part of this in cra- inner crowd. But see, that's not the case with what Christ is saying here in this parable. Right? God wants everyone to be saved. And we should be inviting others into that same forgiveness that we've received, that we're experiencing, not trying to let it be an exclusive club. So I think that's where we're at. Right? We have to know that, that in our restlessness, there's always forgiveness that awaits. There isn't enough bad things or sin that is in our lives that can pile up so much that God says, nope, I'm, it's it, they're, they're, they're done. In those moments, we have to realize, okay, this isn't, all right, it's not, it's, not, it's not about me. It's not about me if I'm already, if I'm not restless and if I'm living the right way, it's for everyone, God, to, for God to love and deeply care for everyone here now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. God, I pray for, uh, uh, just for this weekend, as this weekend goes by, Lord, and we enter in another week of summer, God, I pray that you, you work in our hearts and our minds to live this way, to know that you are, your forgiveness is always waiting as long as we enter uh, and we come to you with a repentant heart. And Lord, in that forgiveness and that grace, I pray that we don't forget that in our interactions with people on a daily basis, Lord, that we don't forget that, forget that the, the same forgiveness and grace that we experience are the, is the same forgiveness and grace you give to everyone, not just, not just Christians or not just people who attend church, that your forgiveness is for everyone and it, it, we can never outsin that forgiveness. So Lord, I pray for this, the rest of this, this day, Lord, that we can live this out, live it practically, and in your name I pray, amen.